1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Preslav. I'm Rachel Jones. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Thank you for joining us for a new edition of Indiana's only queer public affairs radio show. We conveniently post to WFHB.org, so if you can't listen live, you can hear this and other episodes online via the WFHB website.
0: Each and every week, we produce a show by and for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and ally communities. Our listeners can always count on us to cover the most pressing issues, interesting people, and latest events reflecting the TLGBT life in Indiana, the U.S., and across the world.
2: Our featured stories focus around topics both at home and abroad. Our t- tonight, we'll be discussing some of the uh, different factors impacting the transgender community from the culture to health care.
0: We are joined in the studio by my friend, Jessica Bussert, a registered nurse who has some insight on gaining acceptance during trying times. uh,
2: Well, welcome. Hello.
3: Welcome, everybody. Thanks for
2: being here.
1: Thank you. So let's start off. First, let's get to know you, Jessica, a a little bit about yourself. Um, Can you tell us uh, what you do here in Bloomington and sort of... What? Well,
3: actually, right now I'm a resident over at Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, I come to Bloomington all the time. Uh, I'm a, a business owner over there. I own an art gallery. I'm a professional photographer. I'm also a, uh, licensed registered nurse with emergency room background. I've spent a lot of the last five years working as a traveling ER nurse skirting around the country. so
0: She's an inventor also. Oh, oh well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're welcome.
3: I am. Uh, I came from a tech background. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I did I, global IT for decades and decades, and when that career kind of blew up when I transitioned, I decided to do something completely different. And I think that ER nursing is about as different as you can get from, um, you know, messing with computers.
2: Right. Yeah. So if we kind of walk backwards and go back to kind of your tech years, uh, where, were, where was
3: this at? Well, um, back in the dark ages, uh, I taught myself to program when I was 12 years old. Um, using a Radio Shack TRS-80 computer. Um, My next language, I learned COBOL on punch cards, and that kind of dates me a little bit. I was published as a software author when I was 15. I was programming custom robotics when I was 17. Um, I started my own consulting firm, ran that for a dozen years. Then I went to work for Fortune 100, and moved to Europe and did global consulting for major companies. I designed networks um, worth $150 million, Wow, that kind of thing.
2: Wow. So um, what brought you out of that field then?
3: Well, um, when I was in IT, that was in mail mode. And when I transitioned... Although the company stated that they would support me when I got back uh, to work after surgery. So
2: you communicated with uh, the people, you know, your your heads and what was going on and you felt supported at that point? Well, I
3: I thought I did. And then when I got back, um, every member of my department – well, at least this is what the company claimed. Every member of my department was promoted – Except me. And I wasn't demoted according to the company. I was just not promoted. And that led to um, a pretty significant nightmare in my life, which ended up being at that time the largest trans discrimination case in the world, um, which I lost. Um, The company successfully Defended their actions.
2: How long from the time that you transitioned and came back to the company to the time that you left? Was it months, years? About a year and a half. So you were working in a situation where it was, I'm guessing, uncomfortable that you...
3: Exquisitely. Exquisitely. Very isolated. And and, and by the time that I... um, You know, w- when when the job eventually ended, I lost my work permit... I was living in London at the time. Were and, you in
2: a relationship at that point?
3: Oh yeah, I've been actually. I've been in a relationship. I've been married for twenty-seven oh, years. Wow, congratulations! Um, my partner and I've been together forever and a day. Raised five kids. She's amazing. Um, she was with me through my transition, and um, she told me that um, she loves me. And the rest is just packaging. Right. And if this is what I need to be happy, she's going to be there for me.
2: So that's a whole other story in itself. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's a whole other story in itself. We
3: need to see if she has a sister. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She's married, though. Uh, uh, uh,
0: I, I, I want to I thank Jessica. I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but we've been friends for a few years. When I had the cafe here... Um, I was not out in in Nashville, in Brown County. I would change when I went back home. And I think Jessica was a pioneer. She was on the volunteer fire department and maybe helped pave the way to make my coming out in Brown County
3: um, a little bit easier. So thank you, honey. Well, you're quite welcome, Rachel. But you also, um, I owe you a debt of gratitude let's not go chip and dale here, here. yeah I, okay we I can have, go
0: on to other stuff but
3: uh, yeah because you know what you've always been one of the most um welcoming people in the community and when i moved back to southern indiana quite frankly i was terrified and it was nice to find friendly welcoming faces
2: wonderful that's Great. So um, now now we're, we're kumbaya. Yeah, off. No, I, know, that, I know, I know that we can put out the fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's great. I, I agree. Rachel's an amazing lady. Um So so you, as you were transitioning about a year and a half, um you found yourself. You had your 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 wife, your kids, or your and the at, kids are grown. Okay, thank goodness. P- so point. they were avoided. They avoided okay. some
3: of that chaos. And we lost the work permit, and I had to move back to the states. Were um, you the
2: sole provider at that point? Oh yeah,
3: yeah. Um, and we owned a little house in Brown County that was a tourist rental. And we, when we moved back to the states, we thought we were just going to be in it for a couple of weeks. So, did you, well, you have
2: roots here? Or is that what brought you back? We or? had
3: roots in in Greater Indiana. Okay. We raised our family up in Lafayette. Okay. Um, but we had sold that house. We had planned on retiring and in Europe. Right. And the rug kind of got pulled out from under us. So we moved back to the States, moved to Nashville. Um, I had no idea what the next chapter of my life was going to be. I volunteered for the local fire department just so I didn't have too many idle hands. And during that process, I fell in love with emergency medical response. I became an EMT and then I went back to college and became an emergency room nurse.
2: So from the time that you arrived back into Nashville to the time that you completed your degree, how many years?
3: Mm, maybe about four. Okay. Yeah, thereabouts.
2: And then uh, then you went, worked for a, a large hospital, I'm guessing? I worked like for that? a very small okay. hospital okay.
3: for the first year of my nursing career. And after that, I transitioned to being what's called a travel nurse.
2: Okay. So at this point, as you're transitioning into positions, you've transitioned. Oh, yeah. At this point. So you're out with, you know, you're introducing yourself as, you know, who you are today and no issues. I mean, this was what, how long ago?
3: Oh, you know, there's always issues. Okay. (laughs) I I would love to say there are no issues. Um wonderfully maybe 95% of people don't have a problem right but the remaining 5% can make your life kind of a hell right and uh you know i th- i think that everybody that's lived a lifestyle that's outside of the the middle of the bell curve can experience, ha- has experienced that and can relate to that. So you know you, you've you got a hiring manager that doesn't like the look of you or they Google you and check out your Facebook and unless you're what's called stealth and you completely hide your background um, you know they're going to find out that you're not heteronormative mm-hmm. and then it's their choice to whether or not they're going to find some excuse that you wouldn't be a part of their team.
1: Right.
2: So right. you were able to obviously get hired. Um, you,
3: you, I know. found a job in an ER in a very unexpected place uh-huh. um, and loved it. The staff was phenomenal. They were very supportive. And after a year working locally, um, I decided – that I wanted to be a travel nurse. My partner and I um, have always had a passion for travel. We're professional photographers, and this was a way that we could pick destinations that we wanted to explore, photograph, maybe do shows of. Yeah. So and that's what I was doing for about the last five years. Okay. Give a plug to your gallery, honey. Oh, in Nashville, we own B3 Gallery. It's in the Village Green Building. Um, we've recently had an expansion, and we're going to be the largest private art gallery in Brown County. We're proud of that. Uh, we represent 40-plus artists, all from Indiana, uh, most of which from this region, Brown County and Monroe County. We have woodworkers, we have painters, we have glassworkers, and, of course, our own photography. You
0: were friends on Facebook, and and the reason I ask you on the show, one of many, but was an experience that you shared um, involving a friend of yours, and this is a story. I think, you know, we've talked on the show a lot about the cake issue and we've always said this is not about cake. Um, and I think you have an example of something that goes far beyond cake and something that's down home and was
3: life-threatening. Yeah. Well, let me give a little background um, before I tell the specific story. So a few weeks ago, um, our government's Department of Health and Human Services made the decision that they were going to be supportive in defending health care workers that used um, religious reasons for denying care to uh, various individuals. Um, it was pretty wide open, the mandate that HHS gave out, but specifically mentioned were things like um, – Abortion services. So if a woman shows up at a hospital and she is miscarrying and she's, you know, bleeding out, a doctor can refuse to do a DNC because they feel uncomfortable with that procedure. Likewise, a doctor can refuse care to somebody that's trans or gay because they claim that it's against their religion to do so. I was naturally very worried when HHS uh, came up with this new policy and I wrote an article describing a, a first-hand experience that I had um, and explaining the ramifications, the negative ramifications of this kind of a policy. So. About five years ago, a friend of mine called me, knowing that I'm an ER nurse. She called me and said she's having severe abdominal pains, and she described them to me. And what she described was very concerning. So I left the house, and I went over to her place to do an exam. And I was very suspicious that she had an infected gallbladder. And I said, you really need to go to the the hospital to get this confirmed. She did. We came right here to um, IU Health Bloomington. She went into the ER. The ER staff there was lovely. The ER doctor, after ordering the proper tests, determined, yes, in fact, my friend had an infected gallbladder and it needed to be removed. And it was bad enough that the doctor ordered that it get removed in surgery that morning. Unfortunately, the surgeon on call, after examining my friend, found various reasons why the surgery wasn't going to get done the next day. And in fact, waited four days until a different surgeon came on and took over the case and provided that surgery. Now, the ramifications of those four days' wait um, were pretty significant for my friend. A gallbladder can normally be be removed laparoscopically. Basically, they do a a teeny little dime-size incision, and they suck the infected organ out with a straw. Um, It's a very simple, straightforward procedure, uh, recovery time is minimal. person can often go back home within hours. But because of the delay, my friend's gallbladder became gangrenous. The tissues actually died, and that dead tissue spread the infection around. So instead of getting a little dime-sized incision, she needed about... Nine inch long incision to remove the infection from not only the gallbladder but the associated organs.
0: And it came down to the fact that your friend was transgender and that the surgeon
3: had religious reasons not to do this? Of course, um, you know, the hospital isn't going to make that statement. Of course, the Surgeon isn't going to make that statement. There's always going to be some kind of reason why. Um, But having associates that work in that facility and my friend having associates that work in that facility, you hear backstories, the stories that aren't officially presented by the organization and the story that my friend learned was that the surgeon had religious objections to taking care of a trans woman, and that's why they didn't want to do it. Why they was kept she putting home it at off.
2: this point? I mean, was she? They, she was in the hospital for the four days. She was she... in the
3: hospital for the four days and actually for about three days beyond because the recovery period from such a dramatic Brother. abdominal surgery was pretty significant.
2: So after hearing the backstories and of course being upset, I'm sure through the whole thing, um, did we you know file any uh, you know
3: you know I advocated for my friend, quite frankly, to sue the hospital and to sue the surgeon because of the um, blatant malpractice that took place. Unfortunately, you know we we currently all live in a state. That is not trans-friendly from a legislative just standpoint. Just a step. in,
2: this was how long ago? In About five years. So this is before IU Health took over. This is no, it was after. Just okay.
3: It was after. Um, so we live in a state where um, there are laws on the brook that I can lose my job simply because I'm trans. An employer doesn't need any other reason than that. If they love my work, if I got great reviews, and suddenly they discover that I'm trans, they can fire me, state that is the reason, I'm out. I have no recourse. The same thing with uh, you know landlords. I could have a, a rental that I've paid the rent on time for 10 years, And if the landlord finds out I'm trans, they can evict me based on that. So in this kind of a hostile environment, my friend, she just didn't want to go to court and fight that battle. Uh, I can understand. Right.
0: I think there are strides being attempted to be made. Um, I know Bloomington, I've been contacted by someone. They are – forming a committee, and, and one of the things the committee is to do is to make sure they are a more trans-friendly location. I'm, I'm so glad the emergency room was great. Um, still so much work needs to be done.
2: Um, I mean, it's, you know, even as a, a gay man with a partner, um, and this is when, um, before IU Health came in, and I've always had fairly good experiences within the ER. I know a lot of people there as well. And um we had an incident um I don't know this was probably f- ten, fifteen years ago, where my hus- partner then husband today um had some serious issues going on and I was of course upset and um trying to advocate for him at that point and I was actually an ER nurse. They kind of jumped up and said, who in the H is this guy? You know, get him out of here, you know, and it was just wrong guy to say that to. Mm -hmm. Doesn't happen because words happen then. Um, and (laughs) after price security was called and a lot of doctors, um, you know, everybody understood what was going on. But, you know, I'm someone who's not afraid to speak up. Um, and, uh, you know, in a position as well that I can speak up. Um, and, you know, there are, you know, I hear side stories, um, not a lot of side stories within our community, but I hear side stories around where, you know, similar incidents happen today. Um, and it is so frustrating and scary to think that, you know, within this administration and kind of what the political climate is as, as of today that a person could go to a hospital, suffer something as serious as what your friend did, and have no ramifications, and basically allow the individual to suffer or die mm-hmm. um, so at this point i 'm um, assuming your friend Hilden and she's fine at this at, at this so what as far as the, the large picture of maybe talking about what what I, I you had a post on on Facebook that I read about kind of what that ramification of just not touching the transgender or the gay community, but this has potential of really touching everybody.
3: Well, you know, when when you think about it, um, the transgender community we're we're low hanging fruit, we're easy targets, right? So we're um, a what very a great s-
0: pun that is, by the way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> just saying, just saying. We're um, you know, there there's not many of us. We right. don't have a huge voice. And so when an administration wants to single somebody out, um, we're an easy target. But what people need to remember is that once the easy targets are out of the picture, who comes next? Um, So right now it might be the transgendered folk. Next week it might be the rest of the lgb community after that are they going to come looking for well i mean religious minorities we already see that happening and then after that is it going to be if you're not this particular flavor of christianity or this particular shade of white where does the discrimination end and that's what kind of terrifies me about the current in political administration. I, I'm i a little curious personally
1: because um, we were lucky enough to read an article recently regarding health care for, uh, I believe the term they introduced in the article was D- TGNC, transgender and uh, uh, gender nonconforming teens. And there was about... Uh, two-fold increase of reporting that individuals uh, were not getting adequate health care, they were not necessarily being um, sort of supported in their gender identity. Um, Do you think that this is sort of um, an endemic issue at this point, or do you think that at least some regions, whether it's internationally or, you know, here in the States, that have been sort of pushing this to have greater recognition and greater sensitivity to the needs of transgender individuals?
3: Well, I think that with the last political administration in Washington, we had a lot of positive growth, a, a lot of things going on that were hopeful um, for the future. Unfortunately, I think we've taken a huge step backwards Um in the last year, and I think that a lot of the gains we earned are definitely at risk today.
0: We, we've talked many times about our former governor and current vice president. I read today where he tweeted a go get him" to a gay figure skater that we are behind you don't listen to the negative rhetoric um, wow what, what what's this mean because it's so contrary to what I think of this man
3: yeah you know um, I guess my thought would be is it's awfully easy to say things it's a little less easy to do things and maybe I'll start believing that there's a positive thing going on when I see Legislation. actions, mm-hmm. right? And at this point in time, I'm not seeing any any positive actions. I'm seeing a whole slew of negative actions.
2: Are you seeing, I mean, from family, friends, people that are maybe, you know, weren't as educated and now seeing, wow, these are the ramifications of what could happen because we have chose to be silent or not involved in what's going on, that you know, that you find some warmth or a happy place, that you know, that you're you're not going to go at this alone. That there are people, you know, out there that uh, will fight, or do you feel like you know you are kind of on a desert island and we got to figure this one out on our own?
3: No, you know, sometimes when I'm when I'm uh, struggling it does feel a little like the desert island but if i if i lift my head up and i look around i actually see a number of amazing advocates out there people that are tired of the nonsense going on and want to make a change and and that's heartening i guess my s- strong hope is that those people are going to Continue to be advocates when the midterm elections come along, mm-hmm. and they stand up and and let their voice be heard um, in the election process. I think that unfortunately not enough people did that with the last presidential right. election and it led us to the situation we're in right I now. I think people
2: just assumed and that's what you heard a lot. They'll never go backwards. Yeah. You're not going to lose your rights. We've made so much ground that, you know, it's 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 not going to roll the other way and then and
0: yeah, he could never win.
2: And he could never win. Much I yeah, that's a whole nother story. But it happened and everything that everybody was, I guess the, the conversations I was having with the Trump supporters are, you know, you're, you say you love and support my family and my friends and my community and, you know, you're always liking, liking everything on my Facebook page and everything else and, you know, talking, you know, wonderful, you know, saying wonderful things about our, our kids and, you know, how unique we are as a family. And then you're going to vote for this guy that has potentially will destroy this wonderful family that you keep talking about. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, everybody's a little shocked as it's going and it's, uh, you know, when does, when do people say, okay, you know, mercy, I get it. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll speak up and, and hopefully vote. And you know, I guess I find comfort in as i 'm watching you know just the community the local elections and watching you know a lot of my friends um, going out for offices right now, having you know we had two candidates from the ninth dist- congressional ninth district come in, and they had they were not shy about talking about you know gbltq issues and how they support, which is you know it 's on the forefront and and so that there's hope on, on that uh, that that we're as a community, as a whole community, that we're not necessarily alone at this. That people are angry and want to see change and don't want to see things reversed to the effect that you know that your family is you know could be non existence because of crazy you know laws that um, they're trying to push down our throats.
3: I know that it's it's a frightening environment right now. But and I'm glad to see that we have advocates getting more involved in, in in politics, but I tell you what, the existing establishment on both sides of the aisle, I'm I'm a believer that we need to um drastically shake things up and that if those on the left aren't willing to do something like move for impeachment, um, they need to be changed too. We're going to kick
1: it over to our lovely engineers for the community calendar. This week in Bloomington, we have lots of events going on. Tonight, we have a show. We have a couple of shows going on tonight. Tonight at the Bluebird is Moon Taxi at the Bluebird Nightclub, 216 North Walnut Street. Tonight at 8 p.m., Also, at 9.30 over at the Bishop, we have Adult Mom, Chris Farron, and the Bills. Also, PRISM Youth Community Meeting tonight at the Monroe County Public Library at the ground floor at 7 p.m. Now we're going to go to a music break.
4: And I gotta maybe try to find something in between. Gotta stand out, but I gotta be the same. And I gotta find something, maybe something in between. And what about being a girl? But I don't really mind it. And what about being queer? But I think it's how I did. And I won't turn into one. I can grow and I can't. Just what I'm about. And what about being a girl? Well, how could I mind it? And what about being queer? Well, really, really like it. And even if I don't wear raindrops around my neck, and even if I don't have a tie I or a badge, and even if you back, My and what about being queer? Where I think it's how I feel. And what about being a girl? Where I feel I And what about being here? queer? Where are I girls? But I gotta be the same, and I gotta maybe try to find something in between. Gotta stand out, but I gotta be the same, and I gotta find something, maybe something in between. And I gotta stand up, and I gotta be proud, and I gotta remember this is what I'm about. Gotta stand up, and I gotta be proud, and I gotta remember this is what I'm about. Gotta stand out, but I gotta be the same, and I gotta maybe try to find something I like. Gotta stand out, but I gotta be the same, and I gotta find something I like. Gotta stand up, and I gotta be proud, and I gotta remember. And this is what, what I'm about Gotta stand up And I gotta be proud And I gotta be And this is what i This is what I stand for 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 You just heard... Stand Up by Bloomington band The Sissies. Now back to Blooming Out here on WFHB.
2: Welcome back to Blooming Out. Tonight we have Jessica Bussert, um, a transgender health professional who participate in one of the largest gender discrimination cases in the United Kingdom. So we got a lot of stuff to kind of cover. Um, I want to hear a little more about your family as you were transitioning. Um, how did that – you said you have children. How many?
3: I have I had five. We lost one a, um, a few years sorry ago. I can hear that. Um, but uh, I've, I've got amazing kids. They're all grown. They're all adults. I've got four grandbabies as well. Um, and my family was phenomenally supportive of me. Uh, in fact, my kids tell me that I'm a better parent today, after transitioning, than I was before transitioning. So they all see this as a positive thing, not only for me, but for the whole family structure.
2: So how old were they when um, you you transitioned?
3: My youngest was 18. Okay. And my eldest was 22.
2: Were there conversations prior that, you know, we kind of knew maybe something was up? Or was it like we need to sit down and have a conversation? It was
3: we need to sit down and have a conversation. So like many transgendered people... um, I lived uh, in I, – I, I hid, mm-hmm. yeah, to the point – From your
2: partner of, as well?
3: Well, y- yes and no. So the world saw me actually as an alpha male. Um, I was kind of the leader of the pack of my group of friends and I did all these macho-y kind of things. Um. When I first got together with my partner, I explained to her that I had these gender feelings, and I was going to therapy. But at that point in time, and in that place, could I ask what year this might be? Well, we 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 married in 1990, mm-hmm. and uh, in Indiana, you know we're we're. I hate to say it, we're not the most progressive mm-hmm. state when it comes to gender issues. <laughs> right. And so when I went to therapy trying to solve this issue, the therapy was almost always focused on making me want to be a man. And anybody familiar with that? that
2: so you went into it and ha- I guess how did you present it? I mean I guess that was –
3: Basically, I told her I felt like a a, a woman,
4: mm-hmm.
3: but I wanted to get therapy to fix myself. Okay, um, and you know I went to therapists and
2: were these Christian-based therapists or no, these were? These were.
3: Was that the
0: them? common theme? Because my experience was was the opposite. Yeah, um, that was all of them. Is that's the direction they were coming from? What, to, to be more to to fight these urges and be a man. Uh, that that's was my experience wow. early on as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, so, mine were the opposite. Is what I'm saying. My, my counselors were you need to learn to be comfortable with who
3: you are. Well, well yeah, but you know you you grew up. In in and around Bloomington. Right. I was in northern <laughs> industrial Indiana. Um when I was a kid I'd go to the local library looking for anything on gender variants.
2: So and, when did you yeah. was it always like, you always, know, the minute always. you saw yourself in the mirror and you could figure yeah. out what From a
3: small child I knew right. I was different. Um but I didn't know what to do about that. And so, as a small child and as a teen, I would over- overcompensate and Did try to do things. Did you think that you things. were maybe gay,
2: or was that none no, at all?
3: No. Well, I I am gay because okay. I'm attracted to women. Right. But at that point in I time, corrected. I was in a <laughs> in a relationship right. that looked heteronormative, yeah, right? You. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, yeah, I you. You couldn't find information. I remember once, oh gosh, this has been 20 years ago or so, I drove to Indianapolis to attend a group of cross-dressers just trying to seek any kind of... I've been there too. Just trying to seek any kind of information. Sharon went with me. My partner went with Uh me. And afterwards, she initially felt this great... Sigh of relief that we finally found somebody that might understand it, and I burst her bubble because I said to her, "Honey, they're nothing like me. Okay, this isn't about dressing. This is something different." So, it, did you? It, it's an uncomfortable experience. Oh, right. I thought yeah. it, it was.
0: Yeah, I was uncomfortable being there. It like, so
2: it was. It was. Basically men that felt the urge to wear female clothes. Yeah. And and, and so – and which is – and that's where a lot of people get confused, I think, with, you know – th-
0: This is such a continuum though. Right. and I mm-hmm. And I think everybody there is probably someplace different now than they were then on that continuum. I think the understanding of what this is has grown so much. And people's ability to admit they are something, um, it might might be harder to admit you're transgender than it is that you like to dress in women's clothing. Right. It, it's an evolution.
2: Right. Is people. that what you think it kind of starts out? You know, it's just like, I mean, not the you know, kind of mm-hmm. mesh words or whatever. But, I mean, when I was coming out um, back in the day, it was easier for me to say bisexual. I wasn't. But it was a kind of a, it was moving kind of into that direction um, for me um, at that point before I could fully admit that I'm actually gay. Um, And, you know, as you're transitioning into, you know, who you are today, um, of, you know, the the steps that you take, it's like, okay, maybe I fit into this puzzle. And then you look around and it's like, this isn't the puzzle. (laughs) But but look at today's puzzle. Today's puzzle
0: is non binary. Right. Yeah, that's that's so so interesting. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. In our generation, it was male or female. And, right. and I think, Jessica, I I also knew from a very early age I was different, and I wasn't a man that wanted to dress like a woman. But I'm just saying you you evolve in your acceptance of, of what you admit to yourself, but I think it's so interesting that the binary now, the, the, the sexual norms are so different that you don't have to be male or female. Right, right. Barbie and Ken are gone. Right.
3: Well, you know, we would like to... I'd love to believe that. And I love the strides that we've made in that direction Mm. of letting people identify however they choose to identify. But the reality is that a large segment of our society is still very, very uncomfortable with that. And, you know... and and that makes me re- rather sad when i think about the 10-year-old that's struggling with right, this issue right. and still has to deal with all the baloney
2: that goes right so just to kind of jump back in and i want to get back to you um so as you were you know you you went to this um this group in indianapolis and you decided mm-hmm. i don't fit into this group this is so i kept
3: the- searching i kept trying to figure something out And eventually I did find a therapist that said, I think I understand what's going on.
2: Now, was this a therapist that was an expert in this or just somebody you just stumbled Mm -hmm. on and they were willing to listen?
3: It was somebody I stumbled on. And in fact, she knew she wasn't an expert. And so what her first action was, was to make a referral to me to come down to lovely Bloomington to go to the Kinsey Kinsey, Institute. and visit the experts on gender at Kinsey. And that's where I first learned about the, the word gender dysphoria mm. and started getting the vocabulary. Um, that's where I ultimately got my diagnosis about 15 years ago. Um, and I struggled with it. And, you know, I, I've i got a woman that I'm I'm with that I'm...
2: You struggled with what?
3: This diagnosis. What mm. what do you do with that? The whole world sees you as male.
2: So at this point you're still presenting as male? Oh my gosh.
3: I, I presented as male until the day I went to the operating table. Okay. Um I was just Yeah, too terrified. And plus before I started having my surgeries I couldn't pass worth beans. So, you know, I I just didn't want to have that kind of Um, ridicule and negativity directed toward me and my family. And so when I transitioned, basically I walked into the hospital and I got facial surgery and walked out and I was Jessica.
2: Was this in Europe or was this here in the States?
3: I was living in Europe, but I actually had the surgery done, my first surgery done in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. Now, you sort of talk about understanding your
1: diagnosis and getting that uh, sort of confirmation in a sense from the Kinsey Institute. Uh, sort of how was that pathway from understanding that, you know, you are someone who deals with gender dysphoria to making that decision that, okay, um, I, I – realize now that I want to live and present as a woman you know talk us a little bit through that that gap right there well
3: my story's a little different in that regard okay so um I'm a I'm a person with a, a strong faith background and I believe completely in an afterlife um so, when I got this diagnosis, I went back to my spouse and I said, "You know sharon here's here's what they're telling me. Um, and it's definitely what I want to do, but I don't want to take this step if it's going to cost our relationship and um And the reason I felt like I could offer that out to her. Is because I, like I say, I believe in an afterlife and I think that when I kick on this existence and I find that higher plane, I'm going to be put right regardless. I'm going to be in the right body if there are bodies to be had. And so, you know, maybe I'd have to struggle with this for 30, 40 more years. And so that's how I presented it to her. Well, she thought about it. She prayed about it, um, and after a while of her own discernment, she came to me and she said, "You know, the rest is just packaging. I love you. We'll do this together."
2: So, how long from the time that you had the conversation to when she came back and said, "Okay, we're 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 partners, and this is where we're going"?
3: Um, it was a couple of. Tough weeks. <laughs> so she just had to a lot of talking. Was she angry at you? No, she wasn't angry at me at all. Angry I, at the
2: situation or just like, I didn't sign up for this and none of that?
3: None of that. Now, I, I have to tell you, my story is it's pretty atypical in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's m- okay. Many relationships <laughs> right. don't survive right. this kind of a change. Um, but Sharon's not just any spouse she's phenomenal mm-hmm. yeah
2: sounds like it so you you've had to come why she was processing you hadn't talked to the children at this
3: point no we didn't talk to the children until we made the decision that we were going to take surgical steps okay. forward
2: and then so you the the kids were they living in town at this day you said they were older at this point
3: well we raised our family up in lafayette so at that point in time i had a couple of my kids in lafayette still my son was in the Navy, um, and I had a daughter down in Florida. And so the the kids that were f- far and away, unfortunately, we had to have that talk and, uh, t- via the telephone. Mm-hmm. But the others, we had it in person, and I, I, I'm, I'm floored by how accepting and loving my kids were and have been since then. Um, Some of my extended family needed a little time to get their head around it. But I've not been ostracized by – well, there's only one person in my family that I don't associate with any longer. Because of this? Because of gender issues.
2: So – when this happened, it was a conversation. What do we call you? Are you mom? Are your dad? Are we call you by your name? What do you? Where do we go?
3: I left that to the kids, uh-huh. and most of the kids call me Mom Jess uh-huh. to distinguish me. Um, my son calls me Jess, um, but he loves me just as dearly right. as ever. Um,
2: and the grandkids do, yeah. are they talking yet? Yeah. Oh yeah,
3: yeah. And in fact, we. Steal our, one of our grandkids uh, for a few weeks every year, and she comes and hangs out with the grandmas at the right. art gallery. It's and that's all non-profit. she
2: knows. When she doesn't. That's what she knows is just the grandmas. Yeah, she didn't. She
3: she actually knows the story, the backstory. But when a kid learns that kind right. of thing, it's a non-issue.
2: Right. It's really well. The, it's how everybody around her is, you know, dealing with it. Yeah. People that are hate accepting. Is, hate is taught. Yes, it Mm -hmm. is. I mean, it's it's amazing. So that's amazing. So um, great story on that side. I mean, it's, you know, to to have uh, the support from from the family and, and, you know. So you – and then how long did you stay in nursing?
3: So when I transitioned, I was in IT. Right. And I tried to maintain that career, and unfortunately I wasn't able to do that. And so after coming back to the States, um, I guess I mentioned earlier, I joined the fire department Mm -hmm. just to have something to do. Um, I'm I'm a person that likes to be helpful. Sounds like it. And I love doing the medical runs. And so I became an EMT and then decided I was going to go to nursing school with the knowledge I wanted to be an ER nurse from the get-go. Right. And I did ER nursing up until um, the night of the election, the presidential election. And uh, unfortunately, the results of that election were pretty traumatic to me. And I decided that with uh, the political situation, I wasn't able to do an effective job Dealing in a stressful healthcare environment as well, so I stepped out and just focused on my on my uh, photography for a while, and that's what I'm doing right now. Having traveled
0: across the country
3: as an ER nurse, your experience—you were nationwide, predominantly West Coast, but yeah, I, I was licensed all across the nation. What's the
0: pulse there? being transgendered on the West Coast if anyone knew but you could see other people yeah better worse California is as great as
3: we think Uh, California is amazing but like here in the States you know you occasionally meet that five percent that don't embrace it Um, in California though the advocates are much more vocal so If you had somebody that would speak out against you, you had more people that had your back. Mm -hmm. Here, um, it's a little harder to find people that have your back, right? Um, I found other environments that were more or less tolerant. Um, Arizona was a little rough. Uh, Nevada was a little rough.
2: What do you mean by rough, that people Mm -hmm. would call you out and say are just openly discriminate? Against you or say stuff behind your back? Or... I'm,
3: I'm fairly passable these days. So it's not until somebody gets to know me and, and maybe, you know, Google my name or something like that, that more information comes out. So I remember working at a hospital and, and the first few weeks were beautiful. They were wonderful. I was, uh, well received. People appreciated my experience. And then um, one day I walked past the x ray department, and somebody from in the back of the room started singing uh, Dude Looks Like a Lady. And I knew um, the cockeye had hit the fan. And after that point, you know, the rumors spread, and people started treating me a little differently. It is what it is.
2: Yeah, third grade. Yeah, third grade. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, that's uh, so, and and what ha, as far as just keeping your psyche in a good place, you know, not allowing that. I'm sure both of you, you know, kind of have to deal with that occasionally. Yeah, um, but we in, had that, a and, girls'
0: night a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, It uh, was, <laughs> was a lot of fun.
2: Right here in the ukuleles. <laughs> the ukuleles. Yeah. Um, so you know, how how do you? Uh, How do you not allow that to to kind of own you that you can let it go or do you not, you know? I mean you you want to go up and strangle somebody sometimes I'm sure. Well, Um,
3: as as I mentioned, you know, um, I got kind of overwhelmed uh, with the results of the last election. And I've been quite frankly struggling since then – Seeing a good therapist. I'm praying because and, of fear of oh terror. Right. I'm having complete panic attacks, um, which maybe are a bit of an overreaction. But you know, I guess my my uh, explanation for that is is when you've been kicked at a lot, um, when you see a leg coming at you, you jump back. You know, you you get a reflex response, and I think in my case, it's been perhaps a little excessive. But I'm working on that. I'm trying to.
2: Are you do? You, are you like getting involved politically? I mean, you know, to the point where you're saying, okay, how can I take control of this? What can I do for myself to feel empowered? And is that going out and supporting a candidate, or you know, doing Whatever it might be.
3: At this point in time, I don't – my my energies are focused on, on getting myself back to a healthy right. place. Right. I, of course, will vote and I use my voice where I can to speak out against things like the health and human services policy mm-hmm. that just came out or um, many of the bigoted and hateful things that you hear spotted about in the news. But getting more involved um at this point in time, I'm not well, I'm not ready to That's do that fine, right, yeah, as we get closer to the election, I'll probably have some placards in my front yard and Attend a couple of rallies, right. And there's all
2: all kinds of ways of getting yeah. involved. I mean, we you know you don't have to go out and pound doors and stuff. It's coming on the radio and telling your story and mm-hmm. educating people to understand mm-hmm. why you might feel the way you do. I think a lot of times people, when you you know, for, for many of us, when we're trying to explain the, the fear that's there and, and people not understanding it, if you haven't lived it mm-hmm. you know experienced it it's hard so this is
0: it it's changing hearts and i mean i think joining the fire department was a great thing because so many people knew you as a person um and if you know somebody and if they're a human being and obviously you're a wonderful human being um it changes hearts and minds wow. that, that
3: that's political right there i i I try to do you know a, a small part I'm a practicing Catholic, and people ask me often you know you're in a lesbian relationship you're transgender and you're Catholic mm,
2: let's write the book and they
3: don't they don't understand <laughs> right, it yeah and my answer is that um, I love my faith right. and you can't make a positive change if you abandon. The, the system so I stay within and I try to advocate for you know more positive opinion
2: right how about your photography just to only really have a couple of minutes but is it related to kind of who you are as far as you know you know this part of your life or are you a nature photographer and it does it? I'm sure it, it all will kind of fold into one another but is which or photography? Does it? Does it is Is this an an outlet in some ways of?
3: So, I've got a, a number of subjects that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, we're predominantly landscape photographers. Uh, we do some wildlife, and I also do. I've got a passion for macro florals. I love finding teeny little flowers, and blowing these up to be wall size, and exploring the beauty in this minuscule thing that's often overlooked. Um, I've done some more political uh, photography projects. I did a collection of portraitures of uh, trans prostitutes in the Vegas area oh, wow. that was a very powerful project. Um, I called that Invisible uh, because here's a, a segment of society that people want to just ignore and sweep under the table instead of acknowledging the reasons why somebody is forced to take a certain action. Mm -hmm. And it looks like we're out of time today, but Mm -hmm.
1: before we go, I want to take a moment to thank our lovely guest, Jessica Bussert. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the air.
2: I'm Frankie Breslav.
1: Blooming Out is produced by Alex
0: Askin. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Jesse Grubb is our engineer for Blooming Out in WFHB. I'm
1: Rachel Jones. And I'm Alex Askin. Join us again next week, Thursday nights, from 6 to 7 p.m. for Blooming Out, volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB for South Central Indiana.